Hope you're having a good morning. I am. I, somebody gave me a sticker. Um, oh, I put it on this of Bigfoot because the Bigfoot Museum has opened up in Boring, Oregon now, and I totally believe in Bigfoot. But that's a whole other message that I'll bring to you someday. But that just made my day. So whoever dropped that off on my seat while I was worshiping, you obviously weren't worshiping. You were giving me a sticker, but I thank you for it. I don't even know who gave it to me, okay? We are continuing to make our way through here on Sunday mornings through this quirky kind of punk rock book in the Old Testament called Ecclesiastes, and it's one of the wisdom writings in the Bible, but it's really an alternative wisdom. You have to dig deeper into this book to find the wisdom, and today we're going to look, and the message is all about surrendering the outcomes of your life and keep dancing. That's what it's about. It gives us wisdom on how to do both of those things. Let's start with surrendering the outcomes. I want you to check out these verses. I'm just going to read them for you. They won't be on the screen. Out of the first five chapters, but the whole book is like this. This is just some examples out of the first five chapters. Chapter one, the writer, the mystery writer of this book, who's referred to as Coalette or the teacher, he says, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. That's how he starts the book out. Thanks a lot, okay? But then in chapter 2, he says, A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. So eat, drink, and be merry. Life is great. Then later, also in, verse, in chapter 2, I hated my life. It's all meaningless. It's just chasing after the wind. Then in chapter 3, there is nothing better to just enjoy your work and your life. Chapter 5, All of our days we eat darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. And then the very next verse, it's good and proper to eat and drink. Oh my gosh, these are just examples from the first five chapters. It goes throughout the whole book like this. And he just keeps jumping back and forth between the bad and the good, between the blessing and the bummer. If you were to read the entire book of Ecclesiastes on your own, you would feel like you're going back and forth between going to a Taylor Swift concert and a death metal concert. That's what it feels like. One minute he says, my life sucks, I hate my life, it's not even worth a living. And the other moment, in the next minute he says, look at all the goodness in my life, I really need to celebrate more, okay? You're tempted to think he's crazy, but he's not. The reason he jumps back and forth between joy and despair is because our lives jump back between joy and despair. Sometimes in the blink of an eye, sometimes in one minute, you are laughing and dancing and shouting and basking in the sweetness of your life. And one minute later, you're ranting and screaming and cussing about the difficulty and injustice of it all. All right? I am so grateful that the writer of Ecclesiastes, Coalette, includes both. Because when we look at both the joy and the despair, that's the key to freedom in our life. I want to say that again. When you look at both the joy and the despair, that's the key to freedom. Let me explain. Sometimes, no matter how great your passion is for something or how meticulous your plans are for something, it all goes wrong. Sometimes things just don't work out. I'll give you a couple examples from my own life. I knew at a young age I wanted to be a preacher. I actually knew when I was in high school. And at 18, I got a job for Campus Life, and I got to preach. I was going to get to preach to high school kids. I thought, what could be better? And some of you are thinking, like, everything could be better, okay, than doing that job. But I was just so excited. And they let me preach my first sermon, and I worked so hard on it. 
I worked hours and hours on this message, and I decided to speak on the topic of sex because I wanted something that was going to be easy, right? So I'm talking to a bunch of pagan chew-spitting high schoolers about sex, and I worked so hard, and I thought it went so great. And there in the audience was my supervisor's supervisor, the big kahuna of campus life. So no pressure, okay? So I'm preaching along, and, and after it was done, I'm like on cloud nine. I thought, I killed it. You ever done something you thought you just hit the wheelhouse and you thought, I just killed it? Well, I went into my first supervisor, and I still have the notes from my supervisor's supervisor. I've kept them all these years since 1984, and I won't read them all. There's two pages. Nothing is good in these two pages. Basically, he started off with, that was terrible. That's what he started off with. And then he said, it only lasted five minutes. I didn't know that, but it, it seemed good to me, okay? It only lasted five minutes. You need to be really hard on him. He did so poorly. I would guess that Tim's the type who's going to need to be shown how to do it. I doubt he'll ever figure it out on his own. You probably need to give him a personality test and find out if he can even do this stuff. Okay, so that was great. So I was so mad at him, I actually ran into his office and I go, you booger-picking moron. That's what I called him. I still remember it. I go, how dare you rip me for something you never taught me to do in the first place. Again, that's another message, though. But then after that, I was crushed because I thought, no, how can this be? I have this fire burning in my heart to be a preacher. This is what I want to do. This is what God's called me to do in my life. How come I'm so sucky at it? I have such passion. And then there was another time where I made meticulous plans for a situation to work out, and it didn't look like it was, and it was going to cause me a lot of pain in my life. And I can remember, you know those desperate prayers you have with God, where you just, it's like you're throwing up a flare and go, I hope you're paying attention down here, God. I need you. I need you. And I remember honestly praying, God, is this going to work out? And the answer I'll never forget it because it was almost verbal. It was so clear. He spoke to my spirit and said, no. And I went, oh, God, you didn't hear me. So is this, going, <laughs> is this going to work out, this situation? I'll spell it out for you. And I told him the situation. In case you don't know what I'm going through, is this situation going to work out? Not some other thing. Is this going to work out? No. And turns out I heard the Lord right because it didn't work out and my life was hell on earth for the next few months. And I thought, no, 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 that's not how it's supposed to be. I had plans. I made plans. These plans were good plans. They were supposed to work out. So what's this have to do with freedom? I'll tell you. Sometimes things don't work out. Sometimes you fail. Sometimes people reject you. Sometimes people don't like you. Sometimes you experience loss. Sometimes it doesn't just hit the fan. It sprays all over the room, okay? And I know you know those moments, okay? It all goes wrong no matter how much passion you have, no matter how meticulous your plans were. But here's an amazing truth. Once you accept that things don't always work out, then you're free. I hope you can hear that. Once you accept that things won't always work out, even if you love God with all your heart, then you're free. You're free to enjoy the moments when they do because you can only find joy and satisfaction in this life when you stare down the possibility of failure and futility. That's the message of Ecclesiastes. 
We've all been told a lie. We've all been told, if you work hard enough, you can control all the outcomes in your life. No, you can't. Not even close, okay? So we've got to admit and accept our powerlessness. Because if we don't accept our powerlessness to control all the outcomes in our life, we'll be so worried and consumed and filled with anxiety that things might not work out that we'll miss the moments when they actually do work out. A great teacher, a really wise man, was once asked, why are you so serene? Why are you so filled with peace? What is the secret to your serenity? And he responded, I'll put it up on the screen, this great line, so simple but so profound. He goes, I don't mind what happens. How brave is that guy, right? And I got to be honest with you. I mind what happens. I usually mind a lot, okay? But I get what this teacher was getting at because he'd latched on to that freedom that Ecclesiastes is trying to lead us all to. And it really comes down to trust. We say all the time, well, I'm just trusting God. We even sing about, I trust you, Lord. But do we? Or do we spend most of our time trusting ourselves and trying to be our own God? I hope not, because when we trust God, we can surrender the outcomes to him. If things go great, wonderful. We know he's there with us celebrating those, those victories, those joyous moments. And if things go bad, we know he's there screaming alongside of us, and he's this presence of peace till the darkness passes. We can surrender the outcomes of our life to him, whether they're good or bad, when we trust him. Put a comma there, and I'm going to tell you about a pink car right now. Eugene used to have a racetrack, a motor speedway. I don't know if you're aware of that. It was over by where the Walmart is on West 11th. And I only went to it once because it was such an epic night. I never wanted to go back again. My high school friends and I went out there, and it's just an oval, I don't know, half-mile oval or whatever it was. And I'd never been to a race. And if you've never been to a, a, like an auto race live, it's so cool. It's so loud. It's like shockingly loud. So I was having fun, but I was also betting. I was betting with my friends. Every race, we'd pick a car that we thought would win, and whoever's car finished first or finished ahead of the other cars, we'd win like free lunches and stuff like that. And I remember this one race, this pink 69 Chevelle pulled up, and I go, that's my car. Not just because the guy had the kahunas to paint his car bright pink, because, but also because It's a 69 Chevelle. If you've never seen those, they're one of the coolest cars ever made. So I go, I got the 69 Chevelle, the pink one, the bright pink one. And they started the race, and my car was ahead of my friend's car. I was so excited. It was doing so great. And then it went around the far corner, and there's only a couple of cars ahead of it. And I go, I'm going to win this lunch, this free lunch. And all the cars zoomed around the corner. Not my car. Oh, no, no, no. Mine went off the corner, over the embankment, and through the fence, and was out heading towards Walmart in the field, okay? But you had to hand it to the guy, because he kept the pedal down. He kept the pedal down. He didn't just go over the corner. He just, like, launched. I thought, I totally respect this guy. I mean, he crashed his car. I couldn't even finish the race, but, oh, man, I loved him. In our lives, please go full throttle. Do things. Do the things God has called you to do, the things that make your heart uh, just light on fire. Sometimes you'll win, sometimes you'll be successful, and you'll celebrate. And at other times, you'll fly off the track. 
your life will be an epic failure or full of all kind of disappointment and pain, but in all of it, you'll feel so alive and you'll feel so aware of God because to live your life with the pedal down moves God from the department in your life where he's just optional to the department in his life where he is a necessity, where he is an absolute necessity in your life. Some of you came into church today and you're feeling absolutely rotten about your life. I get it. And you're feeling that for some reasons. Maybe a plan or a job or a situation or a relationship or maybe even a person, a family member, isn't turning out how you had planned. Things aren't working out, okay? Keep the pedal down. Keep going. Keep trying. Keep putting yourself out there because the outcome belongs to God, not to you. You can't control it. You can just live your life full throttle. I think the questions that God is asking every single one of us in this room, and I'll put this on the board, um, is this. Will you be grateful when things work out? And will you trust me when they don't? Oh, that's such an important question to ask yourself. I think that's what God is asking us because that's what Ecclesiastes shows us. Sometimes they'll work out and sometimes they won't. But those outcomes belong to God. And no matter what, God is with you in those outcomes. Now let's move on to the dancing part. I want to read just three verses out of chapter 5 of Ecclesiastes. We'll put these on the screen so I can read them too. This is what I have observed to be good. That it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun. That's where we get the phrase, eat, drink, and be merry, that kind of thing, okay? During the few days of life, God has given this, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God. You've been blessed, great, happy, enjoy it. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. These verses are about joy and celebration in life, and people think all different things, especially when they hear that word celebration. For those of you that are over 40 years old, when I say the word celebration, I know where some of your minds go. Some of your minds go instantly to the song by Cool and the Gang, Celebration, don't they? See, I predicted it. Your minds go directly to disco. I'm not judging. A little bit, okay, a little bit. But I understand that. I thought of that too. Some of you actually think about end zone celebration when your team scores. When your team scores and the, and the person that scored the touchdown does, spikes the ball or does some kind of funny dance. For you beavers, a touchdown is when... <laughs> Your team crosses the goal line with the ball. Okay, just throwing that out there for you in case you didn't know what I was talking about there. I love having the mic sometimes, okay? Some people think in the world right now, well, celebration, that means just going out and getting hammered. I'm going to throw back a six-pack and just get plastered. Um, I've never been drunk, so I don't know about that. My wife says I have been. I don't think I was. Um, Some people think, well, it means having sex. Ooh, celebrating, that means I got to get with somebody, okay? Some of you add those things together and go, ooh, celebration is when you get drunk and have sex. That's a scary combination, but some of us exist because of that particular combination too, so, you know, we got that going for us. But we really need 
We desperately need to have a richer understanding of joy and celebration. So I want to focus on those few things for a minute, starting with celebration. Celebration is just the outward demonstration of joy that's percolating inside of your heart. And we all have ways to celebrate. We hug, we shout, we sing, we dance, we, we give high fives, any of those kind of things. You know, those all work for us. We know how to celebrate, but it's joy I want to focus more on today. What is joy. Let me define that for you in maybe an unusual way today. Here are some things that define joy. Joy, first of all, is deep. The Hebrew word for life is a word that is actually plural, and that's on purpose. Most of the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and the word for life is plural. It's on purpose because we all have two lives, don't we? And we know that. We have an outward life, but we also have this deep inner life. And we feel happiness, not joy, we feel happiness when the circumstances are pleasant on our outer life, when good things are happening and our, our, our feelings and you know, our emotions are exhilarated. But joy, we experience that not on the outer life, on the inner life. It's much deeper than that. Joy is a deep sense of well-being. It's knowing on a core level that you are loved and have the ability to love. It's knowing on a core level that you matter. That's what joy is. And all hell can break loose on the outside, but inside you can still feel joy percolating down deep because nothing destructive can ever get, can ever damage your heart, your core, your essence, that place where joy resides. So all, all troubles are truly flesh winds. A couple weeks ago, remember I told you about, I, used, I grew up on westerns, and the hero would always get shot, and no matter where he got shot, he would always brush it off and go, ah, it's just a flesh wound. And it was, they'd survive. All our troubles and difficulty in life truly are just flesh wounds because they can hinder our happiness, they can affect our outer being, but they can never extinguish the joy on the inside of us. A great example of this, I was just reading this, A pastor visited Rwanda, and Rwanda is one of the poorest nations in the world in parts of it, and he was actually getting a tour through one of the slums where there was open sewage going down the streets, and there was all kinds of disease and violence and crime, and he was visiting a group of women that were all dying of AIDS, and it wasn't pretty. It truly wasn't pretty. And then he heard something. He walked um, to another room, and then all of a sudden he heard something. He heard something that sounded like music and singing. So he walks back to the room, and here's this large group of women all dying of AIDS, and they're singing worship songs like we just did. And the pastor was so taken aback, he goes, what is this? And the guy just goes, oh, they do this every day at lunch. Every day. So nothing's going good on their outer lives. There's all kinds of pain and trouble and fear, and yet they tapped into the joy that's percolating on the inside, on that second life we all have, and they worshiped. Wow, joy is that deep. Second of all, joy is resistance. Joy is resistance against the hopelessness and despair that tries to overtake all of us. That's why there's verses in the Bible, I'll put a couple of them up, like Nehemiah chapter 8 that says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's your strength against hopelessness and resistance. And in Philippians chapter 3 verse 1, let's put that up there too. Further, this is Apostle Paul talking, he says, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write that to you again. And it's a safeguard for you. There is, um, this is one of the reasons we sing in here. 
First of all, we sing because God is just that worthy. He's so good, we just naturally want to sing because it's a right response to the presence of that much greatness. But the other reason we sing is because we are singing in the face of hardship and pain and trouble and fear and hopelessness and despair. We're dancing through that minefield. And when we do, hopelessness and fear and despair are kept at bay. They're defeated. Joy is resistance. It's that powerful. Many of you have watched the movie Lord of the Rings, and it's great, um, but it misses out on some of the things the books say. And there's a quote in the middle of Lord of the Rings. I want to put it up here for you. Look what they're saying. Even in the midst of a life and death battle for Middle Earth, there was much space and time for frequent feasting. The feast, the banqueting on joy was necessary. The feast fed courage and hope as much as they nourished our bodies. That is so great. When we celebrate, it's not a frivolous thing. It's a powerful thing. It's an important thing. It's to experience victory over over hopelessness and despair. Thirdly, joy is recovery. When you read through the first five books of the Bible, this amazing story unfolds, and, and God's people, the nation of Israel, the Israelites, they are led into slavery. They become captives in Egypt, and they're there in slavery for generations until Moses that's played by Charlton Heston, leads them out and he comes to the rescue. They're slaves and being a slave is dehumanizing. All you do is work, 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 work. You're just a cog in the machine. But after they were led to freedom and out of captivity, God does the most amazing thing. He has a mandate. A mandate. He insists that they celebrate different festivals and holy days. And there's an important reason for this, because years of being enslaved had robbed them of their humanity. They were less than whole. They are almost robotic. So God tells them, hey, now that you're free, don't just work. Go ahead and work, but also play and rest. And as they did, as they celebrated, and as they rested, they remembered how to be human again, and we will too. Think of your life like this. Think of your life like a really great song. You know those songs that the first time you hear it, they just grab you and you go, oh my gosh, that's the best song I've ever heard. So you play it over and over and over again, each time louder and louder to the point where if you're like me, you're playing it so loud, it's waking the neighbors and shaking the sternum in your chest. That's how you know it's loud enough that your sternum starts to vibrate, okay? And when you're listening to this song, you just have to move. Some of you dance. Some of you like raise your hands. Some of you tap your feet. Some of you head bob because you're too white to dance like me. Whatever you have to do, but you just have to move. To not move would be unnatural. It would be less than human. It would be robotic because this song has captured you and ignited joy and you've got to move. God knows that joy is a big part of what it means to be human and to move from being an object to an actual person. So no wonder there's this cool Hebrew word, and the word is simcha. And simcha means this. It means a joyful celebration. But simcha also means something else. It means to sprout and to flourish. So when we acknowledge the joy that's percolating deep inside of us, and when we tap into that joy... We are not just having a frivolous celebration. We are actually flourishing. We're sprouting. We're 
rediscovering what it means truly to be a human again. Ah, it's such an important thing. And lastly, joy is godness. Most people you'll meet in life, just at your work or, you know, out there in the world, would not equate joy with God. In fact, most people don't assume those things even go together. They go, joy and God, those don't go together. Not at all. In fact, I'm not sure God even wants me to experience joy or likes the things that brings me joy. It's easy to see why people think this. As a youth pastor for 23 years at Downtown Faith Center, I was asked to speak at different youth functions and events and conferences, and and oftentimes in Christian schools, I would do the chapel. And I remember speaking to this one Christian school that no longer exists, thank God, it was awful, okay? Sorry, but it was. And I remember it was really small, but I said, oh, I'm going to go do it. And they bring in like 10 kids into this room, and then the main teacher comes in, and and I thought he was just going to introduce me and I was going to preach and have fun with the kids. But instead, he chewed the kids out for about 10 minutes for breaking some rules. And then he looked at him and goes, we're going to worship. <laughs> and he did it a cappella. But some kids were laughing a little bit because somebody cracked a joke. And I was even smiling. And he goes, stop laughing. Worship is serious. He said that. And I thought, oh, God, no. Okay, and then we sang the most joyless worship song I have ever been a part of in my whole life, and then he looks at me and he goes, this is a pastor from another church in town, he's going to talk to you, and he left the room. Oh, thanks for setting the table for me so well, big guy, oh my gosh, and I'm looking at the kids and they are just dead. There's no life, no light in their faces at all, and I go, Oh, dear Lord, oh, no, I can't preach to them. So I scrapped my sermon because I go, I'm not going to preach any messages. And I just started asking about their life, and we started cracking jokes because I didn't have to speak to him. The dude left the room, whatever. Um, So I'm just talking to him, and we cannot stop laughing. These are delightful, wonderful kids. And then I went to my buddy, another pastor who I knew was supposed to speak the next week, and he goes, what should I do? And I go, bring ice cream. Sneak in ice cream. They won't let you, but sneak it in. Sneak it in, you know, in one of those thermal bags and stuff. So he did it. He did it. So the dude left the room, did the same kind of thing, chewed the kids out, left the room, and he goes, check this out. And he broke out all this ice cream for the kids. Oh, so great. Okay? But those, for those kids, the message from him, and God bless him. He's probably a wonderful believer, whatever. But um, God bless him. His message to them was, God is impatient and angry with you. That was his message to them. And I thought, of course they don't equate God with joy, and so many people don't. But God and joy go together. In fact, joy is the core of who God is. We have this word that describes God, Trinity. It means three and one. It means one plus one plus one is one. And I cannot figure that out. It makes my brain hurt, but I just trust that somehow that's, that's true. And another word for God being Trinity is perichoresis, which means circle dance, So who is God? He's this dance, this joyful celebration between Father, Son, and Spirit, Ruach. That's God. Joy isn't just what God is about. Joy is actually who God is. I've told you before, and I'll tell you this till my dying breath, we will never completely figure God out because he's a God who's with us, but he's still way beyond us. And I I came across this saying, I'm going to quote, 
I'm the only pastor in this town that's going to quote somebody that's a part of ACDC, that 80s rock band. And if you've never heard them, totally immoral words to their song, but the best music ever, okay? Marry for the money. It doesn't get any better than that. I mean, it does. <laughs> and it's a lifestyle with the music. Oh, my gosh, okay? So Barry Taylor, he is actually their road manager and has been for years. And he said this about God. I love this. This is so good. God is the name of the blanket we throw over the mystery to give it shape. Okay, just think about that for a while. I can tell you're like deer in a headlight. God is the name of the blanket that we throw over the mystery to give it shape. He's going, we just have to label it something. So let's label it God because we're never going to fully understand God. That is so good because he's too mysterious. We can't understand God. We can't figure him out. But when we celebrate When we experience joy, the veil of that mystery is lifted up a little bit and we get a little clearer glimpse into the identity of God and who he is at his core is pure joy. No wonder in verse 20 of Ecclesiastes 5 it says, God keeps us occupied with gladness of heart. Because God knows when we're occupied with gladness of heart, when we're in constant joy and celebration, in a very real way, we're constantly occupied with him because he is joy at his core. Now, please hear me. I'm not saying that this means that every moment of your life is going to be a happy moment. Ecclesiastes 3 contradicts that and says, no, there's a time to weep and there's a time to laugh. There's time for both. But we will never miss out on the pain in our lives, will we? I don't know about you, but the pain in my life has a, is so talented and so gifted. It has a way of hunting me down and finding me whether I want it to or not. But joy, if we're not careful, we can actually miss out on that. And that's where gratitude comes in. I want to just read you two last verses and I'll close with this. This is out of Psalm um, 118. Verse 1 says, Give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his love endures forever. There's a lot of songs about that. And then verse 24. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Did you catch the order? First you give thanks. You're filled with gratitude. And then you can rejoice. When you take time to do what Joel had us do right in the middle of worship today, which is so perfect, Joel, to count our blessings and to take stock of all the goodness God has poured into our life, then we realize we've got a reason to celebrate and be in joy. Even on the darkest of days, joy is still present, and gratitude wakes us up to that and says, I know things are rough right now, but you can still keep dancing. Let me pray for us. God, sometimes everything goes wrong, and that describes some people in the room's life right now, Lord. I understand that was me last week. But help us today to surrender the outcomes to you and lead us into the glorious freedom that trusting you brings. Oh, thank you for that, Lord. And help us to be people who celebrate, who operate in joy, a joy that resists despair, a joy that recovers our humanity, a joy that is an experience of who you are and a joy that's discovered in gratitude. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for these things that we find in this quirky book of alternative wisdom, Lord. We love you. In your name we pray. Everyone said?
Amen. Remember the goings-on at the church? I need six volunteers to make me some burritos on Friday, and it's going to be great. The first six that sign up, we can actually take six 